Everybody else find a great seat. Well, it's good to be together. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're new tonight, we've been going through this letter together. Um, we've been blessed to kind of take a, a, a nice wide range look at the church of Thessalonica and what was going on during this time. Um, if you haven't heard... Uh, the last couple Wednesdays, go back and listen on the podcast so you get some, some background on the church. Um, but God started some good things in Thessalonica even when um, the majority of the city rejected the message of the gospel. And I thank God for that because sometimes we look around at our culture and we say, you know, can God work through this? Can God work in, in a culture that opposes him and a culture that seeks their own way? And the truth is, absolutely, there's nothing that can stop the church of Jesus Christ. Um, Even the gates of hell won't stand against the advancing army of God. So, you know, we're not concerned. We we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't just just be lackadaisical about it. I mean, we shouldn't just say, well, it is what it is. We should care um, and and pray and uphold the people around us, but at the same time, not fear when it doesn't line up. Not fear when someone opposes the gospel because the gospel has always been opposed and it always triumphs every single time. The gospel has never gone through, there's never been a period in history where the gospel was unopposed. Um, And so don't worry about that. The apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I'm in chains. He said, I'm an ambassador for Jesus in chains, but the gospel is unchained. Thank God for that. So no matter if I, I may have chains on me, but the gospel is impossible to chain up. So this church started in persecution. One of the first leaders of the church within days of the church, well, I don't know how long, but not a long period of the church beginning, uh, one of the leaders of the church got dragged out of his own house and beaten and, and, and dragged in front of the authorities. Uh, Paul and Silas were rushed out the back door, basically, because the city was so volatile, and yet the church flourished. And we've read, the last couple of weeks we read where Paul said that all of, like this whole Macedonia, Achaia, all of Greece and beyond have heard of this church, have heard of what happened when you received the word and you, you guys lived it out. He said that your, your life, your, this church, what's coming out of it, has echoed throughout the empire. And so that's amazing. He doesn't doesn't say they're sharing his sermons. He says the reputation of what God's doing after they received the word went out and spread. In fact, it outran Paul. Paul said we would get to a place and they'd have already heard about you guys. That's amazing. That's how real the gospel is. So in 1 Thessalonians 2, let's pick up where we left off. And we'll start in verse 10. We'll overlap into something we read last week. He says, you are witnesses and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. 
So there's three important words there. He said we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. It's very important to Paul that these people get what he's preaching, that they receive it. He's not, he's not uh, saying it once and hoping. He's, he says, we, we, were, we were pretty consistent with you guys. We were exhorting you, which means, you know, we were speaking something, preaching to you, proclaiming it to you. We were encouraging you when you need to be encouraged. And we were imploring you, which imploring is almost like pleading with you. We were, we were saying, come on, guys, live this out. He said, just like a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, here's the deal. We said this last week. I think we did. We said it in one of these services. I don't know if it was a Sunday or Wednesday. But we talked about the fact that you're worthy because of Jesus. He made you worthy, right? He made you worthy of his presence. He made you worthy of heaven. He made you worthy of his glory. But the way we walk, that's our actions. I'm worthy because of the blood of Jesus shed for me. But I will admit to you, not everything I do is worthy of the gospel. Right? You might be worthy if you go to McDonald's and beat up a guy just because you didn't like his order. That's not worthy of the gospel. Right? That doesn't change your worthiness, but it sure, I want to walk in a manner. Walk in a manner. How we walk. Now, whenever the scripture talks about walking, that means your action, your lifestyle. You want your lifestyle to be worthy of the gospel you're preaching. If you were here last week, you saw that over and over again because Paul constantly said, he says it nine times in this letter, you know, you know how we live, you know how we acted, you know how we handled persecution, you know how we did this. He says it over and over again, not just in this letter, but in other letters. As preachers and ambassadors of Jesus, you may say, I'm not a preacher. Absolutely you are. If you're not a preacher of the gospel, then you're missing out on a big joy of being a believer and a big responsibility. We're all preachers, proclaimers of the gospel. You may not have a platform like I do right now. You may not have a microphone, but you have a platform. You have opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And the way we walk should be worthy of the way we talk about the gospel, right? Paul is able to say, not just you know what we preached, but he says over and over again, you know how we lived. And he uses that as his trump card. He, pardon the, the term. He uses that as a way of saying, this proves what I've been saying. This proves that the gospel we're talking about is not philosophy. It's not just another message. It's, it's powerful because look, and I believe each and every one of us should be able to say that. We should be able to say, listen to me. But we should also be able to say, look at me. Now that intimidates a lot of people because you don't feel worthy of that, right? You say, I would rather people not look at me. Listen, none of us are perfect. But hey, part of looking at you is not only watching how you live out the gospel. It's, it's also walking how you get up when you fall down. How you repent when you mess up. Right? So if you've messed up, Repent, let that be an example of what a believer does when they mess up, right? But we, if the gospel is real, and it is, it should bear fruit in our lives. Our life should prove it out. If not, then what are we doing here? 
Because if all the, all the gospel's about is us just getting to heaven, we could have stayed home and still got to heaven. You didn't have to come tonight, right? Was there a, was there a checklist that, that you think they're going to ask you when you get there? Did you go to every Wednesday night service? No, right? So if it was just about a ticket to heaven, we could just stay home and watch Dr. Phil, right? <laughs> no, some people are like, absolutely not. I don't care. <laughs> but the point is, we believe that the gospel doesn't just have implications for the next life, but for this one right here. Amen. It's going to change life right here. His kingdom's going to be a part of my life right now. His powerful right here. It didn't just have the power to save me from hell. It had the power to save me from my old life and from darkness. I mean, I have the power to live like Jesus now. I don't want to waste that chance. I'm excited about that. So walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In other places, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Both of these are true. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, you can't walk in a manner worthy of God unless God's power is behind it, right? Because there's no way you could do this on your own. You're not, you're not good enough or strong enough or holy enough or any of those things. None of us are. But if the gospels, if this word that we're preaching right now is real, I just dare you to believe that it's real. Because it is, right? We've seen evidence. I know it's real. You couldn't convince me otherwise because I don't believe it's real because someone argued me into it. I've experienced the reality of this changing lives. Right? So we need to, listen, some people just say, well, I don't, I don't need to try to walk in a manner. If, I, if I'm a believer, it'll just naturally happen. But if that were the case, he wouldn't have to tell you to walk in a manner. You have to choose that it matters how I'm going to walk. I've got to choose that. I've got to choose to obey the Lord. I've got to choose to follow Jesus. Right? I have decided to follow Jesus, we just sang. It's a decision. It's not automatic. Jesus, you didn't get saved and then Jesus grabbed you by the ear and just dragged you through life. Right? You put down your boats, you put down your nets, and you followed him. And that's good. Now here's what he says. Walk in a manner worthy of the, of the God who called you in his own kingdom. And then it says... For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. With the result, they will all, always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Now stop for a minute, and we'll go back to the point about uh, be, being imitators of the gospel and the word performing in us, but just stop for a minute. When he, you have to understand what Paul writes and says, the Jews. Who's he talking about? Now, you may say, well, he's talking about the Jews. But Paul himself was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were a Jew. When the scripture often talks about, like, for instance, in the Gospels, the same thing. The Jews oppose Jesus. It's not talking about a whole race most of the time. Most of the time when it uses that phrase, it's talking about the leaders, the religious leaders of the time. 
Because there were Jewish people that believed the, the, the scripture. In fact, most of the church started out, even in Thessalonica, it started out in the synagogue. So the first converts were Jewish believers. So he's not saying the whole Jewish race opposed us and hinders us. But he's saying the leaders of the synagogues, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they've, they've taken a stand against us. They've driven us out. So the, the believers in Judea that he's talking about are all Jews. But he's saying they're being opposed by their own countrymen. They're being opposed by their own leaders. And he says, already the judgment of God is coming upon those people. They've placed themselves into that. That's just the background notes that when you read it, you understand that God's not picking favorite races here. In fact, all his life, the Apostle Paul said, I'm going to preach first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So he held his priority to, to preach to Jewish people. So when he says that the Jews, are, the, Jews are, are against us, he's not talking about a whole race, but he is talking about these religious leaders have opposed us. That's very important to make that distinction. Now, if we go back, what does he say about the Thessalonian church, Thessalonian church? What does he say about them? He says that we thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And the way he knows is because they began to imitate Paul and Silas. They began to imitate the other churches, and they were living out the gospel. I think this is very important. You know, and we've said this so many times, I hope you're not tired of hearing it, but the word of God has power when it's received and believed and subsequently acted on. The word of God, a powerful word is not about the preacher, right? You might say he preached a powerful word. Well, that's great. The word is always powerful. Even if the guy that's preaching it or the lady that's preaching it is as boring as watching paint dry on a hot summer day, it doesn't matter. If they drone on in a monotone voice and read in old English, if they tell jokes that sound as corny as any jokes you've ever heard, if they say something and preach something you've heard a thousand times, the word is still just as powerful. Now, I believe there's a difference between preaching the word in your own understanding and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. I definitely believe that. I'll tell you how, why I believe that is because I know the times that I tried to preach on my own and it flopped. And the times when I stood up and I preached by the Spirit of God and then it did stuff. So there is a difference in how you preach. But for you, the biggest difference is not who preached and how well they preached or how funny they were, or how long the sermon was or how much they yelled during the sermon or whether you got some of that sanctified spit on you on the front row. The, the, the thing that makes it powerful, the thing that makes it powerful is how it's received. Remember, Jesus said, and this is, this is the parable that he said unlocks all the other parables, was the parable of the sower. Jesus said, the word is the seed, and it falls on all sorts of ground. He, he says there's one type of soil that bears a lot of fruit. He doesn't say there's different types of seeds. It's the same seed. It's different soil. So think back to the messages that changed your life. 
So often we say it was that message that changed my life. And I believe that's true. It's the word of God in that message. But I would go so far to say it's how you received that message that changed your life. Because you got, whether you know it or not, we've all heard sermons that could have changed our life if we'd received them right. I know I have. I know there's seed that hit my heart like, a, like, like hitting a concrete, you know, sidewalk and bounced off and the birds ate it. And I, it might have happened because I was distracted or tired. It might have happened because I didn't really like the preacher's style. It might have happened because I thought I knew that already. But there was other times where I truly let it sink in. And I received it, not as a word from man, but a word from God. Now, that's the great trick, receiving it as a word from God. Jesus said, blessed is him who does not stumble on at me. Or otherwise translated, he, in, in, I think in the New American Standard, it says, who does not take offense at me. But literally, it's who does not trip over me. Now, he said that right after John the Baptist was frustrated about being in prison. So John the Baptist said, sends his disciples to say, did we get the right guy? Are, are, are you the guy or should we wait for another guy? Well, he's not speaking out of revelation, right? His revelation was that Jesus was the Christ. He told his disciples, he told his followers, he said, this is the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, here's how I know he's the Messiah. Because the Holy Spirit came on him and stayed. And God told me that whoever the Holy Spirit came on and stayed, that was the Christ. That was him speaking from Revelation. But when he was in prison, he stopped speaking from Revelation. And he started speaking from his own offense. So he sends his disciples and says, are you the guy? He gave up Revelation because of offense. We do this all the time. We let offense keep us from the revelation that God's given us. So the word becomes dormant, not powerful anymore. It comes empty. It becomes vain in our life because we tripped over something. And often what we tripped over was not, it might have been the word, the way it was preached. It might just be the person that preached it. Because Jesus said, to the, right after he said that, blessed is he who does not stumble at me. He said, you guys, would you go out to the desert to see? He said, were you looking for somebody that was dressed fancy? That had fancy words? If that's the case, why in the world did you go out the wilderness to find that? Why did you go out in the wilderness to find a fancy man? You're not going to find a fancy man in the wilderness. You're going to find a guy dressed in camo. <laughs> the big beard. Eating stuff you don't want to eat. Talking roughly. You don't go out in the middle of nowhere hoping to find uh, 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 the world's fanciest speaker and the world's fanciest clothes. What's he saying? They were offended at John because John was too rough around the edges. But then he said, you said John had a demon because he wouldn't eat what you ate and he wouldn't drink what you drank. He wouldn't hang out with you guys and he was rough. He said, but then I came and I ate with you and I drank with you and, and you say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard, you know? And he said, You're, you guys are like kids that sing and, you know, it reminds me of, of when someone plays a song and, and, and plays a sad song, but you don't want to, you don't want to uh, mourn. He says, or you play a fast song and you don't want to dance. They're always looking for something else. They're always tripping over the messenger that God sends. Well, we do this all the time. If you think Paul was a good preacher, I think you'd be surprised. 
Was he one of the best teachers in the history of the church? Yeah. Yeah. But we're reading his writing. Do you know what he said to the Corinthian church? He said he was getting criticism. He he tells the story in 2 Corinthians. He said, you got a bunch of people saying he writes boldly, but when he comes, he's a real wimp. (laughs) He comes, he's he's not impressive when he talks. He's not, he's, he's real, he seems real tough when he writes, but he seems real timid when he comes. He said to them in the first letter that he wrote to them, he said, I purposely didn't come to you with, with, with a fancy message. I just came to you and, and proclaimed uh, the, the, the message of the cross, uh, the, the crucifixion. I proclaimed to you the power of God. He said, I, I preached to you with much fear and trembling. Guys, have you ever been in a service where the, the preacher was in much fear and trembling? That's not usually the best message you ever heard. It might be a good message, but it doesn't sound like the best message because the way they're presenting it is not bold and punchy. And it comes across as like, oh, man, really? This guy's nervous. I can tell. Paul, so Paul said, I'm not the best preacher. Really, that's not my thing. I'm sure he had great messages to share, but he wasn't the most impressive preacher they'd ever heard. But when they heard what he had to say, they received it as a word from God. Tonight, we're reading the word of God. I'm preaching the word of God. So I hope when you go home, you're not going to say, Pastor Jonathan preached a great message, so I believe it. Or that guy didn't preach so great, so I don't believe it. I'm hoping, my prayer is, that you would, hear what God is saying through his word. And you'd say, God spoke to me tonight. Right? Because if Pastor Jonathan spoke to you, that only goes so far. But if God spoke to you through the message, that'll change your life. Right? That'll change your life. Now, I'm honored that I get to be a vessel, but I'm aware of my own limitations. And I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And I know I'm not near smart enough to change your life. But God is. So if we receive this tonight as a word from God, it'll, it'll do something. In fact, here's what he says. When you receive it as a word from God, not a word from men, it's a, he said in verse 13, it performs its work in you who believe. So what's the key for the word of God to start doing something in your life? You need to receive it as a word from God. And you need to believe. It will perform its work in you who believe. Now, we get, the, we get the formula wrong most of the time. We think we need to perform the word. If I learn it, I can perform it. But you can't perform the word of God. But the word of God can perform its work in you. You can live it out. But it's the word doing the work in you. It's not you doing the word right? It's not you working it out. I mean, we do work out our salvation. We do work out the word that's in us, but the power, the the real work is actually the word within you. So I've used this example several times, but it's still one of my favorite examples in the scripture, and it happens several times in the book of Acts, just to illustrate what this means. Because they had a part to play. They had to believe. They had to receive it. As a word from God, they had to believe it, and then they had to act on it. Because belief always leads to action, right? Faith without works is dead. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read another scripture from that same chapter, but in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus told the parable of the man who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock. And he said, the difference was they both came to my meeting, they both heard my message, but one did it. He was the one who built his house on the rock. He doesn't say one agreed with me and one disagreed. He doesn't say one believed and one didn't, but we know one believed and one didn't. Because you can't believe and not act. Those things, it's, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. You can't say I believed it, but I didn't act on it. No, you didn't really believe it, right? Like if I said today, the, the ceiling is going to fall in 10 minutes, and you say, I believe you, but you stay in your seat, I go, no, you don't believe me. Well, yes, I do. Unless you like ceilings falling on your head, no, you don't. How would I know that you believed what I said? You'd act on it. Right? I mean, that's how we know. That's how we know you believe is you act on it. Now, thank God I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner of whether or not you believe. So a lot of people say, we got to be fruit inspectors. I get the point, but I think we could take that too far. I understand it, though. Jesus said you'll judge a tree by its fruit, right? I, I have to be humble enough to know I sometimes am, I can't accurately judge every single thing in your life. I, I can't look at your life and know it as well as God does, but it should show up in your fruit. It should show up in your life. We've got to let it perform its work in, in you who believe. So I said I was going to give you the example that illustrates it to me. And I know I've given this several times, so forgive me for repeating myself. But in the book of Acts, I see the greatest example in how the, and you can look at the Gospels, the same thing, in how people were healed, especially lame people. Because every time Jesus healed someone, he gave them a command. Almost every time, I should say. So he never just said, you're healed. He usually told them to do something, right? Tells a guy to pick up his bed and walk. Tells a, a blind guy, go and wash in, the, in, the, uh, in this pool of Siloam. He tells uh, the, uh, the lepers, go and present yourself to the, the priest. And there's a reason for this. The reason is, is because in giving them something to do with what he just said, he's putting action to their faith. So they're healed after he tells them to do something. When he tells them to do something and they say yes and they start to do it, the power is there to do it. So the greatest example I can think of, and we've told this story over and over again, is Paul at Lystra with the lame man who he sees faith to be made well. And he says, he stops his sermon and says, seeing that the man had faith to be made well, he said to him, get up, and, and get up on your feet and walk. And the scripture said this man had been lame since birth, had no strength in his legs. But when he started to get up, it says strength returned to his legs. He leapt up to his feet. So here is the, here's the, the formula, not the formula, but here's the pattern I see there. The word of God was spoken. What was the word of God here? Get up. That's the word of God. You might say, well, Paul said it. Paul said it by the word of God. The word of God had already come to the man as Paul was preaching about Jesus. The man got faith from the word of God. Faith came by hearing. But he didn't have, even though faith was there, he didn't know what to do with his faith. 
right? He's still sitting down. He's still lame. So faith without works is still not doing anything in him. He's, not, he's got no work with it. He's got no action to the faith. So he has faith, right? Paul says he had faith to be made whole, but he's still not healed. He's not healed until someone says, this is what you do with your faith. Get up. And when the word of the Lord comes and says, get up, the man leaps up. Amen. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think God grabbed him by the neck and yanked him up? No. What happened here? He had to, his brain sent a message to his legs, stand up. Now, every time he'd done that since he, I don't know, I mean, I don't know how a guy like that knows how to stand up. He's never stood up before. But Paul gave him the command. He doesn't say, God, if you want to heal this man, make him stand up. No, he looks at the man, he says, stand up. And so the guy has to decide, it's never worked before. I've tried to stand up before. It always failed. I, I, always, I always stayed on the ground. It never worked. I don't, I don't even have any strength in my legs. There's no, my muscles are atrophied. How would this work? But the moment the man sends that message to his legs, stand up, God meets him there. The word performs something in his legs. God's word begins to act in his body. God's work does the, does the, the hard work here. The power is in the word of God. And when he says, this time, it's never worked before, but this time, stand up. He doesn't just stand up. He leaps up. Praise God. Now, that's a physical demonstration of what happens to us spiritually when we believe the word. We believe the word and we act on it. It's not us that perform. It's the word that does its work in us. It's the word that heals us. It's the word that empowers us. It's his Holy Spirit working through his word that does all these things. So thank God the word will perform its work in you who believe if you receive it as a word from God. How we receive the word is the key. How do I receive it? Now, we've talked about this before, but I know, I know for a fact, because of the diversity of types of people we come have, have here from time to time to preach to you. I know for a fact there's at least one or two of them you don't really like the style. Right? You know, you're probably picturing them in your head right now. Don't feel guilty because I can't read your mind. But some, some of you like the quiet ones and some of you like the loud ones. Some of you like the ones who short and sweet. Some of you like it when they drag it out and teach you for hours. Everybody's got a different style. But if we would hear the word of God and receive it as a word from God, despite the messenger, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether it was our style, doesn't matter whether we liked them or not, we would receive the power of God. First Corinthians 3, Paul gets on to the church for picking favorites. He says, some of you like Apollos, some of you like Cephas, which is Peter or Cephas. He says, some of you like me, some of you, you know, you've all picked your favorites. And he said, you're putting down one on behalf of the other. So by picking favorites, we're missing out. Now, I admit to you, there's, there's certain... 
uh, preachers I prefer to listen to. I probably listen to more than others. There's, there's writers I like better than others. I get that. But as long as I don't get it in my heart that I only hear from this kind of person. If I have my heart ready and my ears open, I can receive from whomever God sends. Right? Now, I should be able to apply the same criteria to them that, that Paul says you could apply to him. Their life should prove out what they preach. If your favorite preacher, the guy you're listening to on the radio or TV or, or reading their books all the time, if this person's lifestyle is contradicting what they're preaching, move on. Move on. And that's, that's fine. You don't have to judge. You don't have to decide what God does with their life. But don't let that person speak too much into your life. Go and listen and follow those whose life lives out as best you can tell. You can't see everything. But as best you can tell whose life backs up what they preach. And that's biblical. That's just what the Bible says. Paul said, you know what you've heard and you know who you received it from. And what I did with that. You should be able to say that. So moving on. I just want you to look at something in Matthew 7 with me. I know I quoted from Matthew 7, but just reading a different part of it. Matthew 7 and verse... Um, where should we go with that? I said Matthew 7, but I might be wrong. Oh, no, I'm right. Matthew 7, 6. Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, first of all, it's just highly offensive to me that Jesus would call some people swine and other people dogs. Precious Lord Jesus, sweet Savior Jesus that loves us all, has now called us dogs and pigs. Or not all of us, but some of us. Well, understand what it means. Now, when, when Jesus talks about dogs, in, in his ministry, he was talking about those outside of covenant. So he says there are certain holy things that are for those that are within the covenant of Jesus, covenant of God. Those that are outside, you don't, you don't spend your time putting holy things in front of people that are just going to disregard it and treat it as, treat it as nothing. But the, the big one for me is what he says, don't throw pearls before swine. And he tells you it, it'll, it'll help you out because they'll just get mad at you. Now, how many of you believe that a pearl is worth a lot of money? You believe it? Yeah. Especially in Jesus' time. In fact, it's one of the things that he uses probably even more than gold, I think. If you look back, he uses the pearl as an example of something worth a lot of money. And, and really that has a lot of value to it. But he says if you throw it to a pig, they're not going to see value in it. it. It doesn't change whether or not the pearl still has value. It doesn't change whether or not it has value, but how it's received, that'll tell you whether or not it has value, whether it, or not it gives value. 
So the word of God always has value, doesn't it? You can't change the value of the word of God. It's the most, it's, it's just one of the most precious things we have. But whether or not it gives value to you is, how, is, is all about how you receive it. You can't change its value, but it, you can change its value in your life and how much value you get from it. So the pigs, you throw them a pearl. What do pigs want? They want something that tastes good. Well, I don't even really care what it tastes like as long as it, you know, they like corn, potatoes, they like whatever you throw at them. I know some of you know pigs better than I know pigs. I don't think they're that picky. But, you know, they're hungry. They want food. You throw them a pearl, what are they going to do? They'll either kind of sniff it and, and be like, what's this? They try to crunch it and realize it doesn't taste good. It doesn't satisfy. It can't even bite it very well. They get frustrated and it says the pigs get angry because they feel ripped off by you. You threw them something they thought would have value. In fact, it doesn't. So they get mad. They want to charge you down. What are they looking for? They're looking for something cheap. Like seriously, when, when the prodigal son was feeding the pigs, it was cheap food. It was little carob, bean, carob pods. Really cheap food. He couldn't afford it, but that's because he ran out of money a long time ago. But he said, even the pigs eat better than I do. I wish I could eat their food. But guys, trust me, in Jesus' time, the pigs weren't eating like kings. They were eating like pigs. So pig food is cheap, but they like it. It does its job. It works. But if you were to take that pig food and try to resell it, you're not going to get a lot of money from it. But now a pearl... You know, Jesus talks about pearls that were worth more than, he talks about the pearl of great price that was worth more than what one guy, everything he owned, the pearl was worth more. So in Jesus' day, those pearls had like, that could make you a millionaire by our standard. But a pig doesn't want to be a millionaire. A pig just wants a full belly, right? Now, here's how this relates to us. How many times has God offered us a pearl that could feed us for the rest of our life? That th this pearl that's worth more than anything we have, but all we want right now is to feed our flesh for a minute. So we sit in sermons, and there's been times, or, or you read something in the Word, but, but just use the sermon as an example. There's been times where somebody will preach a word to you that if you would receive it as a word from God, it would change your life. You could build on that foundation. It would be the most valuable thing you received. But sometimes you're just in the mood for something entertaining, something easy, something cheap, something that just makes me feel good for right now. I just want something to make me feel good. I want something that fills my belly right now. So we get mad. We get frustrated when someone takes too long or they're too dry or, or they're preaching something we don't really care about. And we, we just get kind of annoyed. But if we'd receive that word, it could be worth so much to us. The pigs don't change the value of the pearl. But how they receive it changes what value it gives them. So we're looking for something to satisfy the flesh when we should be looking for something that has great value. Yeah. I want something that has great value. So I'm going to receive, not based on what I feel I need at the time. You know the frosting? Like if Tia and I were hungry after the service tonight, oh, we're so hungry. Oh, I'm just so hungry. And somebody says, don't worry, I got you covered. Here's a diamond necklace. 
it's not going to make us less hungry tonight because I doubt I'm going to be able to find somebody to buy that diamond necklace off me and give me like a thousand cheeseburgers for it. <laughs> I can't eat the diamond necklace. No. But if I hang on to that diamond necklace, that could feed me for life. So I need to see the value in something, even if it doesn't immediately meet what I think is my need. Like if, if you're just buying books and listening to, to, to sermons that meet the need you think you have right now, that's okay, but you're missing out. If I would say, God, what is it you want to speak to me? Even when I don't know that I need it, even when I don't think I want it, tell me what I need. And you let God give you some pearls and you value it as a pearl. And you don't scoff at it. You don't shove it to the side. You don't stick your nose up at it. But you say, oh, thank you for this. That's worth something. You you might not know, but you give value to the word of God by how you receive it. How I receive it matters. I'm going to treat it with value. I'm going to treat it with something. I'm going to treat it like something of great price to me. And when I do, it'll perform something in me. It'll perform something in me. It'll do something in me. How do I show that something has value? You don't just forget about it or shove it to the side. When, when someone gives you something of value, do you throw it in a box and put it in storage and forget about it? No. You, 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 you put it in a place of honor or you do something with it. Things of value don't get forgotten. So tonight, if God spoke to you through his word and you value that, you treat it as a word from God, you're going to think about it later. You're going to maybe look back at a note you made and say, what does this mean to me? You're going to pray through it. You're going to say, how can I let this work in my life? How can I live this out? How can I receive this? I don't think we do ourselves any favors by hearing a bunch of good messages and only remembering a couple. Some of you I know go out after a Wednesday night service and go for coffee and talk about things. I think that's incredibly valuable because what it does in talking about it with your friends and and family is it causes that seed to just go a little deeper in your own heart. Some of you I know um, treat every, everything you hear from God, whether it be from the pulpit or whether it be at home in your own Bible study or in your own prayer time, you treat it as valuable and so you, you seek opportunities to live it out. That's giving value to the word. And when you do that, it'll pay back over and over because it'll do stuff in your life. It'll, it'll as Hebrews says, it, it's the, the word of God is powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. But it doesn't always do that. It does it when you receive it as the word from God. So I want you to keep your ears open this week. Not just when someone's preaching from the pulpit, but when you go home and do your Bible study at home, when you go to home group and you study the word together, when you pray and God speaks to you through his spirit, How you receive the word is how much value it's going to have to you. You can't change its inherent value, but you can change the value it has in your own life. You decide how much value this is going to have to me. Somebody wrote me a check for $10,000. And I said, 
It's just a piece of paper. And I threw it away. That check is worth $10,000, but no money has gone into my account because I threw it away. Every time God speaks to you, you've got to treat it as something that's worth something. And it'll perform its word in you. And don't trip over the messenger. Jesus said, it said that he went to his own hometown and they started looking at him and saying, oh, this guy, we grew up with this guy. We knew his dad. We knew, his brothers and sisters still live here. Who is he? Where did he get the authority to speak like this? And it says they were offended at him. Better translated, they tripped over him. They stumbled over him. And he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. And he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. Honor and faith go together. Dishonor leads to unbelief. Unbelief totally neuters the power of God in your life. It's not because God became any less powerful, but it's because you shut the door. Jesus said, it said he could do no mighty work. Not that he got upset and wouldn't do any mighty work. It says he couldn't because of their unbelief. I never want God to say, I want, I had some things for you, but I couldn't do it because you shut your, your heart off. Because I used somebody you didn't like. Because I spoke in a way you didn't prefer. Because I said something you thought you knew already. Because I spoke about something you weren't interested in at the moment. But if I would say everything God gives me, I'm going to treasure, I'm going to value. I'm going to receive it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to act on it. Now that's simple, isn't it? Can we just do that? Every time God speaks, receive it, believe it, act on it. Talk about it, pray about it, write something in your notebook when God speaks to you. That's one of the biggest things I got to do because I forget. When you write it down, it shows you that you care about it. You want to remember this. And I want to encourage you as you do this, God's word will begin to do its work in you. God's, work will do, God's word will do what you couldn't do. And I believe that that's going to be a testimony to all who are around us, all who are watching, all who are living life with you. They'll say, this person, what they're preaching is true because I saw it in their life. Amen? Stand with me tonight. Let's pray.